Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Yoga After Dark. Today, I have a very super extra special guest who's very near and dear to my heart and has been for years. This is uh, Rodrigo Muñoz Valencia, and he's coming in from Quito, Ecuador. He is the founder of Andy's Materials, and he is also the chair of the graphic design department at USFQ, which is uh, the University of San Francisco, Quito. So very happy to have him. How are you, my dear? I'm pretty well, considering the quarantine and kind of like forgetting which day is today. <laughs> <laughs> well, today is Thursday, um, though I understand that I have to remind myself that as well. Um, even though I've actually been keeping to a regular, regularly regular schedule, um, it still gets really mixed up in my mind. So firstly, since you just mentioned that, um, can you tell us a little bit how the, the quarantine is working in Ecuador? Because I know it, it is different than in the United States and even uh, it is, I, I think anyway, a bit more extreme than we have even in New York City. Yeah, sure. So on April 16, we started a quarantine here. It started as voluntary, but almost almost everyone did it. And after a couple of weeks after that date, uh, we started having more more restrictions. So for example, there's a curfew that starts at 2 p.m. and you're not allowed to leave your house until 5 in the morning. So it's almost the whole day. And if you have a car, you're allowed to drive it only one day from Monday to Friday. So it depends on your last digit of, on your plate. So one and two are, are available, are, are allowed to, to drive on Monday, three and four on Tuesday, and etc. And what else? Uh, on weekends, uh, no one is allowed to drive. And the idea is that it's they want to avoid it, like people uh, gatherings and like so social distance for like a really big. But uh, we're I feel that we are more cautious in ter in terms of like human contact, so people really don't go out. And there are people that they, they take their dogs and stuff like that, but you don't see people doing errands or working out outside or really enjoying nature. <laughs> And in general, that's kind of like what we have been doing this since April, and it hasn't changed that much in general. And so now you're looking at uh, May 4th is when things may start to change, or? Yeah, I mean, like, it's complicated because as everywhere in the world, our leaders are a little bit, uh, I don't know, it's low. They don't have a... <laughs> concept of reality uh, and their people. So the idea is that uh, some, uh, some businesses will be allowed to work uh, starting on May 4th. But it's kind of like complicated because a couple of weeks ago, last week actually, uh, we had an increase of 10,000 cases of coronavirus. And then two days after that, the president and decided that it was good to start working on made for so the information is kind of like con contradictory and I, I, I don't know like the luckily the, the the major here in the city he asked the president to have an extension of on the quarantine until the end of May which makes more sense in my opinion considering that if you have 10,000 extra cases that doesn't mean that we have flattened the curve <laughs> And, and, uh, but we will see, and we'll see. Depends on that because the the, the government decided that uh, the the final decision will be taken by each city, basically, which and somehow also sounds that they don't really want to take the responsibility for the final decision, which makes sense because politicians in this area, in in this case, at this time, they're kind of like. I don't know. I don't have any respect for them anywhere in the world right now. Well, I think, I think we're having our difficulties with that as well. We, uh, I know that, you know, at our national level, the, uh, the president has uh, basically put the power in the hands of the governor of each state. 
So each one is making, going through a process of making its own decisions. And then within the states, the various cities are making decisions as well. So we will see how that develops. But um, enough on that for the, for the moment, because I'm sure we're all hearing about that everywhere. Um, so you, uh, you, sir, are not, or at least I don't think you identify yourself as a, a yoga person, as a yogi. Is that, is that correct? I am not. I have tried yoga. Yoga comes from my life when it's necessary, but I'm not a yogi. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So you are, you're officially the first person on the podcast who is not very associated with the world of yoga. So congratulations on that. Um, hope that means something to you. Um, <laughs> to a, a different clan, to a different cult. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you have certainly done a lot of things for me as far as my yoga world uh, goes. You, you, in fact, you designed the graphic uh, to, uh, of this podcast. You designed the Yoga After Dark graphic. Um, which uh, is uh, based on all the graphics you've designed for me for my website and all of my promotion and everything like that. So I ask you and suggest you to have a website. So starting from that, the world knows you, thanks, uh, thanks of me. <laughs> yes, this is true. The world knows me because of you. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. Um, and it is, it is mostly your hard work that gets me out into the world, um, not my own, because I'm not very good at that. So um, I would like to know, uh, just right off the bat, um, what is your view of, of yoga people in general? Um, I'm not sure exactly how far your experience goes with us, but I know you've met my students or some of my students, and certainly you know me quite intimately. So what is your view of us and how we work? Hmm, I mean... I think it's, to answer that question, I think it would be nice to think about what I thought before I met you. Oh, okay. Because, like, um, I don't know, because yoga in general, I, I feel for the general public, it's people think that yoga is kind of like this chilling exercise, it's just for working out to look good and stuff like that. And somehow that was kind of like my perception. And I also had friends that they were practicing yoga, but they were kind of like into this more creative, artistic side. But beyond that, I didn't have any kind of like connection. And honestly, I thought it was like, it was kind of like more, I had the impression that it was like more, uh, more like a business oriented workout at the time because you you, you saw yoga you, you see yoga on uh, for for gyms and apps and stuff like that but then when i moved to new york i realized that it was way better and bigger than i thought actually and actually I, even before new york because uh in my college my college is where where i studied is kind of like weird because we have a mix between uh, east and western cultures in our curriculum so some of our courses were meditation and also yoga. And it was weird because for a college, it's, it's kind of like weird that you have to have meditation and, and talk about philosophy and stuff like that. And some of those courses included uh, yoga and kind of like um, East, uh, East, Eastern philosophy and stuff like that. So it was kind of like interesting to kind of have this, that encounter when I was like 22 or something like that. But then after college, that kind of like stopped and I didn't have any recall after that time. And when I went to New York, it was interesting because I, I think when I had my first approach with Ashtanga community, I realized that yoga in general is not about chilling and it's not about relaxing and being <laughs> in the universe and the, and the cosmic world. Of course, there are people that are kind of like, connected to their cosmic worlds, which is fine, which is very good is, is uh, the way that you interpret uh, the, your, your, your world, I think. But something that was very interesting for me, at least in Ashtanga, and I think in Ashtanga, not, 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 not really with all the people, all the rest of people that I've met, is the discipline. The Ashtanga world is very disciplined. And it, that's something that is really attractive for me because I was like, 
because I, for my personal experience, kind of like having a discipline, practicing, like working out, it really changes your body. And also it's a really good exercise for the mind to be quiet and also to have an analysis about yourself. And so when I met the Ashtanga people, I had the, that this really good impression that it's not about chilling and it's about a lot of effort and discipline, which is very, very nice because uh, something that I, I don't like about the Ashtanga commercial part is that they, they tell you that it's about chilling and it's about not doing anything, which it, when it's actually the opposite, because when you practice yoga, you meditate through your body and meditation is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> because otherwise you, you should go to sleep because sleeping for most of the people is easy. But meditation is more complicated. So I, I find, in, at least in, in, in Ashtanga, a nice way to kind of like connect with that. And the people that I met in New York, uh, they're, they're interesting because even though they, uh, they have the real lives and stuff like that, Ashtanga is part of their routine and they create a really interesting community somehow that are always in contact. They're always talking to you. You're always in contact with them. You travel together. And that's something that it's, I really appreciate because it's, uh, it's very uncommon to have a genuine community in the United States. Because uh, and 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 that that could sound uh, weird, but uh, where I'm coming from, uh, families and communities are part of our culture. And in the U.S., I have kind of like the the the, the perception that it's always all, people are people are always looking to have a community, but it's forced because you always put I need a community before doing something. And in other places of the world, because of the culture, it's just part of who you are. But in the in the Ashtanga, in the Ashtanga world, I don't I don't see people kind of like asking for having a community. It just happens. It's more it's more natural, I guess. Hmm, that's really interesting. Um, so that that community thing that you that you just talked about uh, does bring me to the next point I, I wanted to ask you about. So you're, you're the founder of uh, Andy's Materials and uh, you started that with a grant from the, from the government of Ecuador, yes? Yes, um, correct. I was, I was actually there, I was there in Ecuador, in Quito with you when you got the phone call telling, that, telling you that you got the grant. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and um, then it was a very long and complicated process after that <laughs> <laughs> so um so you uh so this um andy's materials is actually responsible for the 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 rug that i place on top of my yoga mat um and anyone who practices ashtanga knows about these we, we usually call them mysore rugs um and uh, my, mine is particularly special because it's, it's a blend of 50% cotton and 50% wool, and it is handmade uh, in the mountains of Ecuador, um, in the village of Salasaca, yes? Right. Actually, and, your, your, your rug is the first prototype for those yeah. kind of rugs. <laughs> yes, and hopefully after all of this sh uh, stuff, is gotten through, we will be able to actually order more of them and make them available to other people. But right now, that's a little bit on hold. <laughs> uh, everything is on hold right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me about the community that you're working with and why specifically you wanted to work with that community um, and and what, what you find beneficial about the way things are done and what is maybe not so beneficial about the way things are done, which would be, I guess, why you're, why you're there to, to improve some things. Okay. Okay. To tell you about this, the history of Andes materials, we have to divide time in three times as well, as the same with the case with yoga. It's before New York, uh, when I was living in New York, and after New York. Okay. So, uh, to kind of like, uh, if you don't know, like, or if you're listening to this and you don't know where Ecuador is, Ecuador is in South America. Just so you know, America is a whole continent. South and North America are a whole continent. So this is, this is, a, I just want to interject here. This is a difference between um, 
Ecuadorian schooling systems and United States schooling systems. <laughs> In the United States, we have seven continents and two of them are North America and South America. Apparently in Ecuador, there are six continents and one of them is just America. It's now, called, I don't wanna go into the science of the whole thing. Obviously, I, you know, I am predisposed to uh, consider one of them a little bit more valid than the other, but that's fine. <laughs> so please, please go on. <laughs> so well, the continent of America. <laughs> the continent of America, depend, depending on how you wanna look at it. So in South America, uh, we have the Andes. And the Andes, they go uh, from Colombia all the way to the south to Chile. And of course, they go through Ecuador, which makes my country a really, really interesting place to live. So the, the, the entire country is, is smaller than Texas. And we have, in the continent, we have uh, three regions. On the east, we have the jungle, which is like the jungle with monkeys and stuff like that. And on the on the on the west side we have the coast, and in the middle we have the highlands. The capitals are in the highlands, and I live in the in the highlands basically. And I was I was raised in the highlands, and it's very interesting because uh, in the, with the difference of uh, of the United States, you can travel. And it's very like surreal because you, if you drive two hours, you go to the mountains. If you travel three hours, you get to the ice, to the snow. And you travel a couple more hours, you get to the jungle, and it's 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 very it's very magical. So if you have the chance to come to Ecuador, you should do it because it's very good. And and that also this kind of like diversity in terms of climate and weather, the, it also gave us a lot of variety of, on of, on of on our cultures because we have a lot of indigenous cultures. Um, and with the, it's also different with the United States because we don't, we are all mixed. So we don't really have a kind of like white people and black people and indigenous people. We have some people that are kind of like more, uh, there are some communities that are more predominant uh, indigenous or black, but the, most of the population were mixed. So we have heritage from the, the Spanish background and also the indigenous background. Um, our culture is very mixed. And but in general, we always live kind of like between this dichotomy of my Western education and my lifestyle versus my traditions that come from um, indigenous backgrounds. So somehow uh, you kind of like uh, you live on kind of like living in the, between these two worlds in the same world, which is very 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 weird. In in, lit in literature, it's called magic realism, and. Mm -hmm. In terms of like, so this magic realism before New York, for me, at least in the terms of fashion and textiles and stuff like that, it didn't really resonate because I I have kind of like a, I liked the indigenous uh, textiles and handicrafts and stuff like that. My, my family, it's, in general, they have been around like indigenous uh, uh, communities and stuff like that because my, my dad is an anthropologist, my sister, she used to dance uh, uh, traditional dances and stuff like that. So I had always this kind of like folkloric somehow view of the indigenous cultures and their textiles. And they were kind of like for decoration and stuff like that, for those some specific kind of like decoration houses, like more colonial lifestyle and stuff like that. So then when I moved to New York, uh, I went to New York to study my master's at the School of Visual Arts in Design for Social Innovation. So the master's, uh, at the master's, we basically learn a lot of methodologies to solve social issues, which sounds very broad, but that's why the master's is two years. But one of the topics that we talk a lot was fashion and sustainable fashion and how like the traditional fashion industry is the second more, um, is the hardest, uh, in, the second hardest industry in, in the entire world in terms of pollution. And can you, can you say that again? So the, the fashion industry, like the textile industry in general, it's the second most uh, harmful industry in the world in terms of pollution. I, the reason I ask you to repeat that is because, you know, the, the fashion industry with yoga is, is huge. Yeah. Um, all of our, all of our, you know, stretchy 
yoga pants and tops and shorts and everything else. It's a, it's a very big deal. It's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I do think people should be aware that it, it is a very large carbon footprint industry. And so it, it is important to, to keep an eye on where your, you know, where your clothing is coming from and yes. also, and also how much you are consuming as well. So exactly. thank you for making that point. Yep. So, uh, so that actually, that's a very interesting point because something that I, when I was in my master's, we had this, I learned about the fact that the, the value chain, the production chain of textiles, like the clothes you wear, the yoga material you're using and etc., they're very weak. And they're very like wicked, 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 wicked. They're very wicked, and are very wicked is what you're saying. Pronunciation <laughs> issues. So it's very hard to track where things are coming from. And if, for example, if I ask you where your apple comes from, you can see the label, and you will say, I don't know, it comes from New England. So at least you know where it is. And if you think about, like, I don't know, even, the, even your iPhone or your technology, it has a label and somehow it's each part, somehow it's easy to track back. But with textiles, it's almost impossible because you can see the label, but when you see, for example, a piece of clothing, the materials are not just the yarn or the fabric. They have a lot of components. They have zippers, they have the yarn, they have the, the thread and the and. and and each component comes from a different part of the world. And each, part, and each component has a, a specific um, way of doing. So you have steps of making it and stuff like that. So in general, the, the value chains of, produ of, of the production of textiles is very spread around the world. And even the big, the big brands, they don't really know where their materials are coming from, which could be sound like, okay, it's fine. The things are coming from different industries and people are doing and making money, which is fine. But the problem is that then you have another question is like, why is my yoga mat so cheap? Um, why do, why can I have an, um, a discount of 50% sometimes, or what to, can I have a $2 t-shirt? It doesn't make sense because if you think about, if you take all the parts apart, <laughs> you see that you have the fabric and et cetera, but it doesn't make sense. Why is it so cheap? Mm. Which people have do the research and we have found that uh, where like all the, all the processes and all the people that are involved on making clothes, including yoga clothes, are always coming from developing countries and countries where the, where the American industries, the European industries, the big industries are having their factories and they don't have to pay, they don't have fair payment, they don't have uh, security on their job, they can lose their jobs, and they don't have, they don't have insurances and st or stuff like that, labor rights and stuff, and things like that. That in the Western world, it sounds like very fair, and that's something that it's part of their, our human rights, but in those places of the world, that doesn't happen. Mm. And that's, uh, but then when I was like, when, when, when you think about how complicated this system is, actually the solution is way easier than you think. Because the, the idea that you have this, uh, this textile industry that each part is so spread and it's very complicated, means that there are too many steps and there are too many people involved somehow and there are too many things happening at the same time. So the solution is actually simpler. It's kind of like, where can you find a value chain, a production chain that it's simpler and it's local? Mm. And the answer for me was basically my life before New York. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the mountains where I'm coming from. <laughs> and so then I went, then I had to, when after New York, I was kind of like, kind of like, and that idea kind of like stick it in my in my in my mind. So I was like thinking about like the the traditional traits and the indigenous knowledge and also my my cultural knowledge in general. Not not only indigenous because if you think about indigenous knowledge, you also folklorize them. So it's in general, the knowledge of Ecuador. So then when I moved back to Ecuador, I had a chance to. So I was I was checking my I was checking my my email and I got this. 
this email about this grant. So the grant was a grant to start enterprises that have social, economical, and environmental impact. And then I was like thinking, what if uh, I kind of like copy, duplicate the initiatives that I saw in New York? That they were in general like fashion brands, like clothing brands that they use uh, traditional, uh, traditional uh, techniques from places around the world. But then I was like, no, 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 this is more complicated because uh, I can't mimic, I can't copy what people are already doing it. So I was thinking, no, 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 I have to simplify the value chain. I have to work on something more, more specific. So then I was like, uh, I realized that there are also people and there are also designers and there are also brands who are working and around sustainable fashion. And then what do they need? That was my question. And the answer was materials. If you are a designer that works in for the, for the fashion industry, for the decor industry, or whoever you are, but you're a designer who works with fabric, with textiles, you will always need materials. And I was, I was if you kind of like research, that's kind of like the, their pain all the time. Because if you're a designer, that if your, your work is to design, to create, to have the patterns, to, pro, to, to have runways and make photos and stuff like that. So your job is that. But starting looking for material for most of these designers are a pain in the ass. They're, it's very complicated for them to, have, to, to get, to get uh, a good quality and, and, it's, and, and, and good quality and, and responsibility in general from the producers. So that's kind of like how everything started. Uh, so that was kind of like the, like the idea. So I need to, to produce the materials, like kind of like the, the, the foundation for other designers to create something. And then I, when I, I went to my dad because my dad, as I, as I told you, he's an anthropologist. So I, was, uh, I, I told him about my idea and I was like that. So I, I want to kind of like find places around Ecuador where we can find artisans who can make these materials. And the first thing we did, we went to the north to a town called Otavalo which is basically, it's basically, if you're in New York, you have seen Otavalos playing uh, uh, in, in the subway. They usually wear these gigantic feather crowns that are kind of like Apache crowns, but they're actually not American. They're actually from Ecuador. And they are always traveling with their handicrafts. And they have a really interesting culture because they're they, they're very good on selling it. And they're, they're, they're uh, selling their culture and they basically folklorize everything. But the problem is that in order to be globalized and because they travel a lot, they had to they had to change their industry and everything it's mass produced right now. So everything that you see that it looks like a folkloric and kind of like ethnic around that area, that, that area around the city, it's machine made. So the traditional techni techniques uh, stopped. So they don't they don't and everything is acrylic. So I was kind of like a boomer because I was like, oh, so this is, was the first choice. So what's going? So where can where can we find someone that is actually producing like the materials? So then my dad remembered that 20 years ago when I was kind of like 10. I mean, at that time I was eight. He was working uh, on a school for a school in the town of Salasaka, which is a town in the in the in kind of like in the in the south of the south of, of my city, and. He was. He remembered that uh, the, 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 these this people they have uh, they have sheep, and they use the, the wool to produce a thread. So they hand twist thread, and in the women in general they are always carrying a stick with uh, with a with a bunch of wool at the end, and they're always twisting this 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 wool to make to make thread. So and so he was like, okay, so we have to go to Salasaka. So then we go. To, we went to Salasaka. And it was very interesting because it was the first time that I was I was actually at that in the town itself because you because you that that town is is, is just a pass to go to another city. But I remember when I was a child that I used to see this woman carrying this this stick, this carrizo stick, uh, this carrizo is the, 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 the name of the plant, and with wool. And I didn't really know what they were doing, but then everything made sense when I was an adult. 
And uh, that's basically how we started. So my dad had this encounter with the teachers that he used to work with 20 years ago. And we told him about the idea. So we want to, so they were, the idea was like, we want to create materials. We want to create yarn, pigments, and a fabric to, to, to start selling outside, to start selling in the, in the United States and Europe. And that's how everything started in general. And we started with the community. We talked to the community. I remember the first uh, meeting we had with the entire community was like, like 50 people, <laughs> and they were kind of like they were, we, we explained the project for them. It was at the beginning, but they were kind of like confused because they they are used to produce a handicraft. So they sell t-shirts, they sell belts, they sell uh, bags and stuff like that with their materials. But we told them that, nope, that's not the idea. We just want to sell the prime material, just the, the, just the, 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 the fabric, thread, and yarn. So that's basically how things started. It was kind of like uh, when I was in New York, I, was, I started learning about uh, textiles and the fashion industry. And then when I moved back to Ecuador, everything makes sense. <laughs> so you had to you had to step away from something in order to appreciate what was already there. Yeah, I think it's, it, it happens to every immigrant in the world. I guess <laughs> you have to step back and see your 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 past from the distance, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's even, it's even happened to me, and I'm, I'm not an immigrant. I just moved from the northeast of this country to a slightly south of the northeast of this country. And I still, you know, look back at where I come from as, this, uh, as a place that makes sense now. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting uh, as, also as a, as a yoga practitioner because I think that uh, many of us in the yoga world have gone through periods where our practice doesn't really make sense to us or doesn't seem as uh, nice or interesting um, or fruitful as it used to. And sometimes uh, that ends uh, with us stepping away for a while. And that we, when we do step away for a while, I think we, we end up, uh, if we're drawn back to it, uh, it holds a very different meaning for us when yeah. we come back to it um, after after being away, which is very nice. So, um, as far as uh, you know, this this textile project you have going in in Salasaka, um, because you were talking about community earlier, and you were talking about how uh, in in the world of Ashtanga, it seems that. Uh, community just happens mm -hmm. somehow and and certainly in in salasaka community and the culture uh, of that area is just there somehow can you can you put your finger on 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 why that is how that happens mm, sure i mean like uh the, the community in Salasaka, they had been around that area for like centuries. And if they, and, and it's very interesting because in their DNA is very secular somehow. So they, in general, they're, they're a, a group of indigenous that they, they don't really mix with other people from, the, from outside of the community. Which is very interesting because if you trace back their DNA, you can go back to their to the Incas and some and some of their practices. So, in the Incas time, a lot of the the communities they were moved around the the, the, the empire. So some of the some communities they moved from Bolivia to Ecuador and stuff like that. So that was actually one, also the case of the Salasacas. They moved from other actually from 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 another present country so they moved very 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 far away and somehow for many centuries they had they stayed with their culture very like protected and that me that means that because of they they're kind of like this cultural isolation somehow they have kept a lot of their practices and one of their cultural practices practices is uh, garment making so in uh, every woman 
they all they always basically but it's starting from the beginning so each family they have sheep so they raise their sheep and they used to have more 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 animals back in the at the beginning of the 20th century but after kids had to go to school they started having only one or two animals so this wool is is produced by the family to create garments especially for uh, dia de muertos uh, for november so the whole year they're 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 making thread and they this thread are taking it to the loom and then it's waved so they wave the 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 yarn to clothes and they have ponchos and they have like skirts and they have all shawls and stuff like that and everything is produced inside and the recipes and the steps some used to be part of each family but now that kind of like spread around the community but the community is like it's smaller than Astoria so it's like it's not a big town so everything is is located inside so you Uh, have for those who don't know Astoria is where I live and where I currently am Astoria is in Queens in in New York City it's just it's just one of the neighborhoods of Queens of New York City which is big but it's not that big (laughs) (laughs) correct correct yeah All right. Like so, the thing is that uh, the the uh, the entire value chain was is is located in the, in the same town, and that's also a really interesting uh, advantage because I was I was mentioned before that the, the value chain for fashion the fashion industry is like so fucked up, <laughs> right? Uh, really hard to find where all the things are coming from, but I'll, from but basically in Salasaka, you know where everything comes from from the ship to the fabric. So each step happens in the same town. So that was kind of like very, very interesting. And it's, it's very cool to, because uh, to start uh, with Andes materials, Andes materials, we had to do a lot of anthropology work. (laughs) (laughs) We had to do a lot of research first because it wasn't just about like, so I'm I'm this educated uh, man who is coming from New York and now I'm going to teach you how to create a business. Now that that, there wasn't that there was, Started, uh, that was kind of like a rule. We wanted to be equals in the beginning. So we started asking, asking questions about how do you make this? What's happening with this and that? It was very interesting because the, 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 the fiber uh, production is still happening in, in, this, in, the, in, in the town, as I was mentioned before. But something that was missing was dyeing. Pigments, they stopped uh, producing pigments almost like 50 years ago because 50 years ago or even more years the this chinese and uh industrial aniline pigments came to to play and it was way easier for them to dye up a piece of clothing in three hours versus three days so a lot of that knowledge has forgotten and there are some recipes that we know the name of those ingredients but we don't know what ingredient is (laughs) ah okay and uh, so, so we had to kind of like rediscover a lot of those techniques. We had to learn about the plants. Uh, one of my friends, he's, an, uh, he's a biologist, and he was helping us as well to identify some of the plants that are in the area that could be used for dyeing. And it's it's, very, it's it's like it's a lot of it's a, it's a lot of research and ethnographic uh, uh, research, also like biology veterinary research because you have to like we had to kind of like simplify the value chain from the ship to the to the process of the wool and the loom and each step has a lot of uh, technicalities and the idea was the first step, step for us after research was identifying this step and improve improve them so for example the in the for example now the their animals they have veterinary care they have vitamins they have all the injections that they need they didn't have those cares before the wool is is shredded it's cutted with without scissors now we have machines that are they, um, that are easier for the for the animal because we don't damage their skin the wool is is washed with uh, biodegradable detergents before they didn't use those detergents, they used like traditional soap. Then we washed it, and then the, and then this wool is processed and hand twisted. So, and it, it also with the women that are in charge of that, we gave them like industrial security uh, measurements, so they have belts that they have to wear. They can wear, 
they have schedules when they go to work and also with the loom. The loom is also it's, it's a peta loom and we also have improved a lot of the processes along the way. Great. That's wonderful. So I'm I'm really I'm uh, I'm really happy you you said all of that uh, because really the reason I you know I wanted to interview you for this podcast is because I feel like a lot of stuff that you do is um, parallel to how we do things in in the yoga community and and I feel that the way you talk about fast fashion and um, a loss of supply chain and stuff like that um, is is very apropos of some things that have happened in the yoga community as well. And so this is uh, really my roundabout sneaky little way of getting to talk about things that I want to talk about uh, in the yoga world um, from a different direction. And so I just want to uh, highlight a couple of things you said, and you can tell me if you, you know, disagree with them or not. Uh, but so it sounds to me like one of the big things in keeping a culture intact or keeping a community intact is that they are, they're learning from themselves. So it sounds to me like this is family units. And so, you know, you have the mother teaching the daughter how to, how to do the work. And I would assume father teaching sons as well, how, how to do this particular type of work. Um, you know, and we do the same thing in our, in, in the yoga community. There's a, there's a special word in Sanskrit for it called parampara, um, and which basically just means the, the passing down of information from a teacher to a student directly. So it, it's not an indirect thing. An indirect thing would be, you know, learning from a book or learning from a video or something that has been produced before. This is, you know, people learning directly from people and also people learning from people in a very close setting, you know, so, that, so the information can really be shared back and forth. Questions can be answered when people have questions, things can be clarified if things need to be clarified and in a small group manner. Yeah, but I think that there is one difference uh, on that point. The, I think that the, I mean like, it's the, it's the meaning because meaning uh, yoga has a different like, has a personal meaning for people and also traditional knowledge has a meaning for their for the people who are who know the, the knowledge but i think it's very like it's a very like fine line because meaning changes and mm -hmm. at least for the uh, for the andes materials experience we don't think about um it's, it's not about like keeping their it's not about keeping their tradition because their, tra their traditions are already happening. It's part of their cultures. It's about giving new meaning to their textile knowledge because it's not about producing handicrafts. It's not about producing folkloric stuff. It's about producing materials that can be used in a runway in New York. Mm. And that's kind of like the, I think in general it's a, it's a respectful meaning because it's a meaning that has to be built. At least with the community, we rebuild the meaning to think about their traditional techniques and trad traditional knowledge as something like bigger, which I think it's, it's very interesting. And I think in the yoga world, the meaning is also very, 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 is a really fine line because you can go through, okay, so this is a personal experience and this is all about chilling and not, it's just my workout routine. Yes. Your mean, but uh, your meaning, but I think like it's very delicate in, in, in the yoga world because that fine line between discipline and meditation and kind of like learn about all the things that are behind yoga, it's a lot of effort. And it's, it's, it's it, I think it's easier to think about this liked uh, version of yoga instead of the, the more profound and more deep, the deeper meaning, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that one. Um, I would say that, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with people assigning different meanings to their, to their yoga practices or people using their yoga practices in different ways. You know, it's, it, it is very individual in that way. And what I, what I am going for, what I'm 
you know, trying to get out of my practice is not necessarily the same as what someone else is. And um, I don't know if we need to put a qualitative mark on that. Um, and actually, that's something that is discussed in, uh, in Shastra, that's discussed in, you know, uh, I'm just thinking about the Yoga Sutras right now. Uh, there's a couple um, sutras in there that mention um, mild, medium, and uh, intense uh, paths, or mild, medium, and intense uh, speeds that you can travel on your yoga path. And it doesn't seem to me that the author uh, actually puts a, a qualitative stance on any of those things. He just says that they exist. And so some people will go slowly, some people will go quickly, depending on how much effort they, they wish to put in to it. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to mention that you had said earlier um, is that you had to come into this as, um, as an equal. You had to come into this, uh, into this village in Salasaka, not as the educated person coming out of a, a school with his masters from New York City. You had to come to them and say, I need to learn from you because in order for me to, in order for me to do this project, you're actually going to have to learn information from them. Um, which I think is a really important note to make in, in the yoga world because it seems to me, and you know, I've been teaching for, for over 10 years now, that there are the people that show up in the yoga studio and they are, they are like you. They, they come wanting to learn something, um, having a desire to learn something and being open to learning something. And then there are other people that show up at the at the yoga class, uh, assuming that they already know everything, yeah. or or wanting to do everything their way because they already know the best way to do it for them, which has never made a lot of sense to me. Because as far as I'm concerned, they may as well just stay at home then and just mm -hmm. do their yoga practice at home and not bother me, the the poor helpless yoga teacher that needs to deal with them. Um, so I, I quite I quite like that you that you reference that that you in order to be successful you're going to have to become a student over and over again. Uh, it was actually both ways. Huh? Not, I'm sorry. Both ways. Both ways. Yeah, because they have to learn from me, I have to learn from them, and oh, yeah. they're equal. Uh, one day we did a really interesting exercise. So we mapped each step of the process of making a, a piece of fabric. So we were like, so we were, they were, they were, so we were like, it was kind of, it had an intention, but the, the, so we started. So where the wool is coming from? So Isabel, for example, what do you do with the with the wool? So we did every single step. But then uh, after we had the piece of clothing in our map. We we started telling you what do we do with that piece of clothing, with that with that with that piece of uh, of fabric. Sorry, and we explained them that, for example, we have to do uh, we have to take pictures of that. We have to make contacts. We have to talk with people in other places, uh, other countries. We have to do the advertisement for that product. We had to create the brand. We showed them the website. Um, so our mapping of the production was very big because they had the their part, their responsibility, and we also had a big part, a big chunk of responsibilities. So it was a really interesting exercise because we learned from each other and we learned that we don't know what the other knows, but because because of that, we have a dialogue. Each each one depends on the other, and that's important because I think like people always. Uh, talk about dialogue and active listening and stuff like that. And it's very hard. I mean, we're not perfect, but in general, I think for the yoga world or even when you want to approach a new community, it's very important to be open-minded. Uh, op uh, you you also uh, you need to have a heart, uh, an open heart to have a dialogue. And yeah. it's, I mean, if you're a new student, if you're new on something, it's you have to open your senses to get everything from that experience with no expectations because at the beginning you can't have expectations of something that you don't know. <laughs> and you've got to stick with it for a while. 
yeah, and even the expectation should be like, I want to be curious. That that's the only expectation I have, uh, because that's, that's beautiful. Just yeah. coming in with the expectation of being curious. I, I think that is that is really gorgeous the way you put that. Yeah, I think that that's that's kind of like one uh, the biggest learning from that experience, at least. And 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 I'm, and I'm not telling you that everything was perfect, and and I'm telling you that I have approach the textile nirvana or something like that because for me i, I deal with a lot of frustration as well like uh, i deal with a lot of like uh, because i have kind of like the recipes in my mind and then the coronavirus comes and i don't <laughs> know I can do but i'm always curious about what's going to happen next and that curiosity is something that in general for my life has been really really interesting because it puts me kind of like in a more emotional stable process in general because I'm always like looking to what's going to happen next. It's so nice. That's really very nice. So we talked a little bit, um, you know, usually I end this, uh, this podcast with, with four questions. Um, and those four questions uh, don't really pertain to you so much as, um, as, as not a yoga person, but uh, I think I'm going to ask them anyway. I might phrase them slightly differently than I than I normally do, and we'll see where you go with them. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. First question, um, which uh, uh, is kind of silly because we talk all the time, but um, is there anything you want to ask me? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you can say no if you want. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, mean, um, uh, I mean, I have to put, I, I, ah, that's complicated. I think something that I really appreciate about you is that your people appreciate what you can tell them. I mean, your word is important for people, for mm -hmm. friends, for your students, etc. So how do you see yourself with that responsibility and that role during this time? Uh <laughs> You know, it's, it has been rough, honestly. Um, and I have, I have to thank you quite a lot uh, because you have helped me immensely uh, get what I've been able to offer people up and running, you know, and, you, and you're also one of the forces in my life that uh, when I have my doubts, comes in and says, it's okay, you can do this. Um, even when I argue with you, you're, you're pretty steadfast about uh, giving me a positive spin on things, while, as you know, I tend to have a bit of a more negative spin on things. So I really have to thank you for that. Um, right now, you know, it's, it's very difficult because uh, one of the things I'm seeing happen is uh, I have a lot of students and they all want different things mm -hmm. and, and they're making those uh, requests. And I, you know, I only have a certain amount of energy. I only have a certain amount of time. And so I'm trying to kind of combine requests a little bit and make the decision of what is best for the group um, with the information that I'm getting. Uh, and so that, that is really what I'm trying to do right now. I'm, I'm almost trying to be like a funnel, you know, you pour all this stuff in and then it's going to, it's going to all drop into the, to the little mouth of the funnel. So that's what I've been working on. And it, it is a difficult process, but hopefully uh, my students are seeing some benefit from it. And I, I think they are. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like kind of like an advice to your students is that that's part of the community. Yeah. Have someone who can process all that information and creating solutions. It's part of the community. It's not forced. It's already happening. So it's just like be curious about and be attentive and be responsive and also be grateful, right? Because it's like, it's, 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 I mean, like human connection is already happening. It's happening all the time. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm grateful every day that, you know, that I have students that still want to, to learn from me and that I still get to have a relationship with them and a dialogue with them during this time. I, I'm immensely 
grateful. It's a very special thing. Um, okay, second question. Okay. Um, so what do you think is uh, the best thing uh, about the yoga world as it stands right now? Mm. Is that yoga is a really interesting opportunity to have that connection with yourself is the is a quiet moment that you have to have with your own mind and that's kind of like an and an, it's kind of like a gift in general for people i mean because all of us we're all all going through a lot of stuff in our minds anxiety it's happening to every one of us and i think if you take the the yoga practice as part of your mental health exercise <laughs> help you a lot because uh, and the, the thing is that practicing it's good meditation whatever thing you do you work out whatever it's it's good for our minds it's good for our emotions and i don't know what's kind of like what 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 the outcome will be because no one has has lived with a with a pandemic <laughs> So we don't know what's going to happen, but at least it's a good opportunity to take care of your mind and your emotions. A lot of people don't have the chance. And if you practice yoga, you know at least a tool that will help you. Great. What do you think is most lacking about our yoga culture currently? Lacking in the yoga culture? Mm-hmm. Like like everyone in the world, it's the adaptation to non-physical contact. Mm. Because the, the yoga practice has a lot of like, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's a group setting. You have to do it as a group and you have to have contact with people and your teacher has to be there. So it's, I think it's the timing for all of us to start testing and prototyping other ways of contact. And I think, I don't know if the, like all the, 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 kind of like the traditional yoga world is ready for that because we are kind of like so used to our practices mm -hmm. and it's, it's a moment for challenge as well. Okay. And what do you think the future brings? Where do you see, um, where do you see yoga in 10, 20 or 30 years? Will it be a part of your life in 10, 20 or 30 years? Uh, that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, very good. That's a good enough answer, I think. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> it will be around. I think it's, we will, uh, I think we will, we will have that, that answer after the pandemic happens and we go back to normal, I'm considering normal, that not the normal that we used to. But somehow, right at, at this moment, the quarantine moment, the, the social distancing moment, yoga has a big responsibility because it has to be an experience for people for their future because it has to have a value in their hearts and their emotions. They have to have a good experience with yoga. And yoga, it has to be something that is helpful for them at this moment. It has to be a good experience for them, for, for them at this moment because then it will have a, a, a better meaning in, in the future. And I think it's kind of like my advice as well as a, as a professor, because I also teach for a, for a university. And that's kind of like something that my students told me the other day, because I, I asked them, like, what do you think we do this? And what do we do this? Mm -hmm. like, what's the purpose of this? And they told me, because there's a future. There's always a future. And okay. then... Yeah, there's always a future, and the, the, the thing is that we, we don't have to give up right now, even though sometimes it's very hard, even though you open your eyes and it's like, ugh, and your heart is like broken in pieces. But mm -hmm. think about each action that you do today will have a meaning for someone in the future. And yoga have a big responsibility and a big meaning right now, and it has to... Uh, at least the people who are, having, are willing to have that responsibility they have to have create uh, deeper meanings for people because the commercial meaning in general, all the kind of like the traditional business way of doing things is very harmful. And right now, if you kind of like, if you want to 
can like have a political statement about that. Somehow, what's happening right now, it's because the actions we have taken with nature, the actions that we have taken because of selling. Um, maybe those things should change a little bit. Maybe we should go back to the origins for real. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well put. Very well put. So thank you so much for, for taking the time and being with me today. And good luck with everything. And I'm sure I'll just talk to you very soon anyway, because I'm always talking to you. Mm -hmm. But um, stay safe and stay sane. Yes, tomorrow is going to be my first time outside in three weeks. <laughs> well, try to enjoy it a little bit. Try not to get too, uh, too wrapped up in, in what's going on. Stay safe, but, you know, enjoy yourself. And also you, and also all the people in New York, because I'm very worried about that city. <laughs> you know, we, uh, like you just said, there will be a future. So we'll be here for it. And I promise I will be, I'll be there in the future. <laughs> Wonderful. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Of course. XO, XO. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.